Welcome to another episode and conversation uh, on Worthy for 30. I'm your host, Eric Tash. Uh, today, I'm delighted and also elated, of course, uh, to have Phil Shermer, a returning guest uh, to the podcast uh, to talk about Project Healthy Minds and why mental health is such an important issue for all Americans and all people who are going to eventually listen to this podcast, lean into. And then I have Steven Sokoler, who is the CEO and founder of Journey, also tackle that mental health issue from a different lens, working with corporations, Fortune 500, Fortune 1000 companies on how to establish a wellness platform in their corporate infrastructure to provide their employees those resources to, again, manage their mental well-being and mental health. So, Phil, Stephen, welcome to the show. Thanks for having us. I didn't know that Phil was a, a returning guest. I feel uh, <laughs> I feel like some some nervousness. I feel like it needs to be uh, a little a little bit better. So, Stephen, uh, you know this as you mentioned, this, this is your first time here. We'd love for you to give the the guests and the listeners an understanding of Journey, like where it started, why it started. You know, again, I did my research, but love to hear it firsthand from your perspective. Absolutely. So, uh, I had a really powerful experience with meditation and mental health practices, super helpful in my life, which I'm happy to go into. And after looking around and seeing what was out there, I said, is there a way to bring these practices to people in a really simple, approachable way that really met people where they are? And so it was eight years ago, almost the day actually, that Journey was launched. And everything we do is around proactive mental health. So how do we support people in a proactive, preventative way, just the same way you would for you know physical health? or with nutrition, right? You would take steps on a day-to-day basis to do something, even if it's small, uh, so that you don't have problems down the line. Same thing when it comes to proactive health. And so uh, for me, the mission was and is to help all people live happier, healthier, less stressed lives. So democratizing and destigmatizing mental health. Gotcha. Th- thank you for that introduction. So Phil, you know, again, destigmatize mental health. That was a topic of conversation the last time we were on the show. Love for you to give an intro and also speak to, again, some of the, the objectives that Stephen and his team are, are doing for more from a corporate lens and also provide some yeah perspective from PHM. Sorry. Yeah. Look, I mean, Project Healthy Minds is building the Expedia or open table, but for mental health services. I think that in 2023, it's egregious that it's easier to book a flight or a hotel or a restaurant restaurant reservation than it is to find mental health services. And so we're a 501c3 not-for-profit, but what we're building, our programmatic work is really tech at its core. And a key part of what you're doing, there's nobody who works in the mental health space who doesn't recognize that stigma is sort of the front door issue. And I think, you know, one thing I hear sometimes is people say, well, stigma has been improving the last couple of years. So is it still an issue? And I think, you know, I think humans are really bad at distinguishing between progress and arriving in the promised land. You know, after 2008, I think there was a lot of people in America, as an example, who felt like America had entered sort of a post-racial America with the election of President Obama. And then the last six years, I think a lot of people realize that it's not actually as clean as that. It's a little bit more complicated. We can make progress, but not have arrived in the promised land. And I think it's the same thing on mental health stigma. Are things improving relative to our parents' generation? Absolutely. But do we still need an army, celebrities, business leaders? Is there still a huge amount of work to do? Yeah, absolutely. The Some crazy stat, like 65% of people aren't comfortable talking about mental health in the workplace. And so, you know, there's a million ways to look at it, but stigma is really still 
at its core. That's why I think the work that Steve is doing is really important. Excellent. So Stephen, you know, talking about the mental health and making the case for corporations to say, let's we need to bring in a journey to help boost productivity vis-a-vis providing those mental health resources and mental health well-being resources and where to go, you know, to, to Phil's point. It's okay, I identified, I've you know, I saw that that influencers talking about their mental health journey that I can relate to that. Now, where do I go? So what is some of the, that initial conversation that you're having with human resource leaders, CEOs, the C-suite when it comes to mental health and why it's so incredibly important to their employees? Yeah. The nice thing is that in my 20 year career working with HR and people leaders, they have always understood the importance of taking care of employees mentally and emotionally. And so it, it almost feels like on a day-to-day basis, I'm sort of preaching to the choir. Now, the disconnect, to Phil's point, is getting better, but not fully there, is people are starting to, and by by people, I should be more specific, senior leaders outside of the people area, CFOs, CEOs, are starting to say, oh, it actually is good business to take care of our employees mentally and emotionally. It's not a feel-good, we do it because it's the right thing to do, although that's a very good motivation. We do it because turnover is less. Burnout is less. Healthcare costs are less, right? If you, I mean, it's just common sense. If you help people to be more focused, more calm, more productive, they will make better decisions. They will interact with their colleagues in a more thoughtful way. They will enjoy work more, right? We've done clinical studies. We had one with Humana that showed that uh, employees missed 51% less work following the program versus prior, right? So absenteeism was cut in half. I mean, just take that alone and say, well, how does that not pay for itself 10 times over? So it's it's really about speaking the right language because HR leaders have always gotten it. Now it's how do the other senior leaders in the organization say, you know, we get it too. And it's gotten better as a result of the pandemic, one of those sort of silver linings. But again, to Phil's point about stigma, on this case, it's also still not fully there where it's it's fully locked in for for example. Gotcha. So to that point, like, you know, again, that stigma and reducing the stigma, like what have you seen as successful from your from your vantage point as again helping to destigmatize? Like I, I know some of the work that and Phil can speak to it, some of the work Project Healthy Minds is in terms of creating this this advocacy platform of okay, we're working with influencers and other celebrities to talk about their mental health journey. Cause again, it's that that relatability. But I'd love to hear, you know, again, some of the st- proactive steps that you've been taking, more from a category education standpoint, not just specific to to journey. Yeah, absolutely. So one of the things that we talked about was can proactive mental health become a thing that people talk about, right? And whether it's that term or a different term is is less important, right? It's more about the movement, the idea. And for us, it's about how do you meet people where they are? That means a lot of different things. But what it means is let's talk about how this can help you with sleep, with not fighting with your husband or wife, with being able to relate to your kids better, with being more present and happier, with having more gratitude, mm-hmm. right? Like everyday stuff that every person kind of wants to do and aspires to do versus let me talk to a therapist or let me do a meditation practice or, you know, like that's where it starts to have this very like, I don't want to do that. I just want to like watch Netflix or play on TikTok or do something else, right? I don't want to like go inward. Let's not talk about going inward, right? right? I mean, we can talk about it, right? That's the process, but what's the outcome? And then how are we making it easy for people? So, you know, Phil, the work that you're doing, right? It's a great point. Super easy to book a reservation at a table, at a, you know, at a table at a a restaurant, more difficult to find 
a great therapist or a great mental health practice or something like that. That's a shame, right? That's a travesty. So how do we make it easy? So I'll speak, I know you asked not about journey, but I'll, mm -hmm. I'll give you some examples because that's obviously what I'm most sure. familiar with. Um, for organizations, they often put these quote unquote benefits on an intranet, 10 clicks deep <laughs> that nobody goes to. And even if they go to, they can't find it. Well, where's the accessibility, right? So how do we make it easy? So we have a daily email. We have a Zoom integration, a Teams integration. So when people are having, as I'm sure you guys both know, meeting after meeting after meeting, they can put a brief pause in there, something that allows them to refresh. They can do something before they go and close their laptop to be with their family or you know on their commute. So things like that, right? Always trying to be progressive there. And then also making sure that the teachers, the, excuse me, the lessons are brought to them by people who are like mm -hmm. them, right? Nobody mm -hmm. wants to, you know, it's funny, Phil, when you, when you talk about like 2008, you know, like people don't want to, to be spoken down to or have something that's too professorial, you know, they want it to be real and they want it to be from someone like them. So one of our core pillars, and this is from when we started eight years ago, not from when it became fashionable recently is around diversity and inclusion. So over 50% of our teachers are teachers of color. We are diverse across all of the spectrum so that when somebody does actually reach out or we do show them stuff, it's somebody that looks like them, comes from their walk of life and they can relate to. So that relatability is also very important. Understood. And, and Phil, from your perspective, like, does that sound very similar to some of the conversations you're having more on an individual basis, you know, with the, with the community of, again, helping anyone, you know, especially, you know, the Gen Z millennial population, you know, help them to identify, destigmatize and to discover those mental health resources. When you say, you know, the front door to, to mental health is Project Healthy Minds, again, guiding that person to find that exact resource that is most applicable to what they're going through. Yeah, I mean, the answer is definitely yes. You, you know, the I like to think about it as sort of a, a modern day version of infrastructure. If infrastructure 100 years ago was about building highways so that you could get from one city to another faster, well, as the internet gets larger, you need highways on the internet to find what you're looking for. And there's, a, there's this explosion of mental health services that exists. But, you know, for different communities, not every type of mental health service is exactly right for them. I mean, how many times have you tried to find a therapist? You're using a new platform. You go through the whole, you go through 14 steps of account creation, and then you get to the final page and you put in your insurance. And then it turns out that there's no one on that platform or there's only two people and they don't, you're like, this doesn't work for me at all. That is like the worst kind of user experience you could imagine. And so thinking about how do we build these highways on the internet via marketplace, make it a little bit easier, whether, you know, whether you think about the health needs of people, whether you think about the kind of insurance that they have, or even if they have insurance at all, you think about race and ethnicity, gender identity, sexual orientation, all of these things inform the kinds of mental health services that people need want and can afford and the whole ball game for us is how do we make it easier for people to find what's right for them and how do we help them over time because what you need in your early 20s may change when you're in your late 20s may change after you have kids may change when you lose a parent may change if you have a you know the loss of a job or the loss of a spouse or the loss of a kid and so thinking about how do you become that front door 
and, and sort of that trusted front door that people come back to as their life changes. That's sort of the, the ballgame. But yeah, look, to, to Stephen's larger point about companies, I mean, I think, and Eric, we talked a little bit about this last time mm-hmm. on the pod that, you know, I think that if you look at the trajectory of climate change and over the last 10 years, going from an issue really driven by activists to ones adopted to a much greater degree across corporate America, I would argue the the interlinking point was the role of the investment community, that as big asset managers began to say that the climate impact of a business and a business's approach to climate change was material to the long-term performance of companies, suddenly a lot more companies began to think about this, not just through sort of doing the right thing for your own people, what what's good for the bottom line of the business. And I think mental health is on that same trajectory, just a decade behind climate change. And I think that COVID sort of accelerated longer running trends of people thinking about this. Mm-hmm. So, you know, in terms of those, you know, COVID is 10 years behind climate change. And it's really with climate change, businesses and asset managers, well, more so the asset manager was sizing the prize of, okay, what does this mean? Not just for the environment, but importantly, black and white, what does this do for my bottom line? You know, ba- based on from both of your perspectives, because, uh, you know, you're, you're talking to businesses, you're talking to uh, whether startups or legacy businesses. How are you broaching that conversation of trying to, again, Get that C-suite executive, for instance, again, the HR person, you know, to Stephen's point, is on board. But that C-suite person to say, hey, you know, by investing in mental health, this is what it can do as an output for productivity. Like, how do you make it, you know, black and white for that C-suite executive to be like, yeah, it's costing me in the, in the short term, but in the long term, oh, my gosh. You know, you know that, that absenteeism uh, rate, again, dropped by 51%. You know, what does that do for, for output and productivity? So, again, love to hear. Uh, if you're willing to share, you know, again, that, that sort of conversation you're having. Yeah. Um, on, on our side, we, we want to speak their language, right? And, and their, their languages, it's dollars, it's profit, it's expenses, right? And so that's what we need to, you know, articulate. And so we have an ROI calculator that was uh, built by Humana's former chief behavioral scientist, uh, incredible created this. And what it does is it takes all the published research on the cost of burnout, the cost of absenteeism you know, not just productivity, but also healthcare costs, right? Somebody's out for three weeks, what does it cost, right? And we're able to translate that so that when we're going to organizations, we're saying, this is what stress is actually costing you. And the beautiful thing is the numbers, it is so much, it's beautiful, but it's messed up. The numbers are so high, it is so expensive that even if you discount it in your mind, even if you're an executive and you're like, well, this is overstated by 90%, the numbers are still so ironclad that you're like, wow, it does make sense to invest in our employees. So it's it's one of those things where companies are spending so, so, so much money on the reactive side once someone burns out, once someone turns over. I mean, and every CEO knows, every executive knows when you lose someone, it's very expensive. It's expensive to replace them. There's institutional knowledge that walks out the door. It puts more stress on the team that you have. So they're more likely to leave, right? So some of these things are easier, but when you start looking at the numbers, it's like, wow, this is actually very expensive. And then you say, hey, to treat it, it's actually not that expensive if you take efforts. Now, one of the things we also talk about is adding a benefit is not enough. You have to shift the culture. So employees feel seen and cared for and supported. And so we talk about how, you know, we have 
a bunch of different ways that we do that. But but long and short, we talk to them in numbers terms because that's. And what about you, Phil? Like, what what's sort of that? I think we we touched upon it, but you know, again, if you're willing to share, you know, what what that conversation is, or at least a semblance of. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. I would say every company and every management team is a little bit different in terms of what we're seeing. We're seeing a couple different profiles. There are some companies where HR is really leading the way that the head of HR, the chief people officer is really pushing. We're seeing some examples where the CEO has a connection to the issue. And sometimes it's driven by experiences that they've had while they were at the company or in their professional career. Sometimes it's something that's happening in their personal life that's driving their empathy and attention toward the issue and their belief, their growing belief that this is an important issue for the, for the company. Sometimes we're seeing it being driven by younger people in the company who are increasingly saying, you know, if you look at it, like there's this larger conversation, you know, over the last really 50 years that you have sort of this societal, you know, the, sort of the, the death of trust in all institutions and the growing reliance that exists that people say they want their company to step into the void and address the issues, the social issues, the government should be addressing, right? Let's put pressure on management teams across pretty much every issue for the last, you know, one might argue really accelerated after the financial crisis. And what I would say is I think mental health is like the newest issue on the agenda, that it wasn't necessarily so explicitly on the agenda previously, but that as a younger generation that has a different view of mental health gets older in the workplace. I mean, people think about millennials as like teenagers, but like millennials are increasingly the emerging leaders running, you know, new businesses and new divisions of companies. And so that generational difference in view around mental health and how material it is to the business also driving it. I, I would also say one of the things I found fascinating, and obviously we have a little bit of a different uh, style of relationship with, with companies in this work, is, is that people, everybody is motivated by something different. And yet at the same time, what I have found pretty consistent is there are a lot of people who, in the same way that, it, that a celebrity coming out about their mental health journey inspires lots of us regular people to do the same, when CEOs or CHROs or CFOs are sitting in a group with their peers at other major companies and they're talking about what their company is doing and their priority on it, it has, it's the same core human dynamic. It doesn't, need, you know, it doesn't have to be Justin Bieber or Lady Gaga doing it. It can be, it can be somebody on a management team at a business. And I think that's one of the things that's been most interesting in watching is I've seen people who have been CEOs of public companies for decades, who after hearing people that they consider similar to themselves uh, talk about mental health, suddenly they then have something that they want to share. And what you find is, is that often, like, there is no family that has escaped mental health. Everyone has some story. The question is just, what's your story? And so I have found that to be an incredible motivator and an incredible unlock in getting executives to think about and prioritize mental health. Mm, very interesting. I think from a, from a, like one thing, it's funny. It's like, you know, like-minded people, again, think alike. So tactically what it sounds like is, you know, this is very tactical. Like, could you curate a dinner with 
12 CHROs or CEOs to get them in a room to talk about mental health. And it's, and it's really the observation, Phil. It's like, okay, 30 minutes before actually sitting down and just seeing how people interact and understanding the chatter that's happening, like, holy smokes, like it's not a, a big, it's not a, a hard sell. It's like, okay, I'm dealing with mental health. My employees are burnt out. We miss numbers. Why do we miss numbers? Well, I think it's because of, you know, people are, are, are feel burnt out. Their productivity is suffering as a result. So it's, yeah, and it, it's funny you're you're saying this today because we are literally doing exactly that uh, the first week of March with a with you know we're probably going to have about twenty people who are CEOs or CHROs or on different roles on the management teams of about fifteen to twenty different public companies or really large private companies that are startups that everybody knows, and that's sort of the core the core idea is get the, everybody into a room and let's, let's talk about mental health. Yeah, let's, exactly. Let's and do it over a meal. Yeah. Do it, do it over, over a meal. meal. Right. And, you know, a big part of this is also, you know, if you really get to the core of a lot of this mental health stuff, a lot of it is about a sense of community and a feeling of belonging and the ability to bring your whole self in. And so this idea that you could share a meal with people who are unbelievably successful in different parts of the country in different industries, but that your common thread can be sort of a sense of vulnerability and honesty around this issue. Um, I, I have found there, there's almost nothing more powerful than that. Absolutely. You know, th thinking about, you know, the mental health resources that are available, you know, to Stephen's point earlier, it's like, where are the mental health resources, you know, they're, they're 15 pages deep or 15 clicks deep on the internet, you know, where are they? Or I think Phil, you mentioned like as simple as an organization to provide a free Calm or Headspace subscription, you know, to really check the box. So uh, I know, you know, COVID-19 you, you touched upon, and now there's conversation from Jenny Yellen and, and Congress, like, hey, we have to raise the debt ceiling, there might be a recession. What are some of those conversations? You know, I imagine the dynamic changes a little bit where it's like, oof, we got we to uh, tighten the belts here. Um, what is it? What is that response? Again, I, I love what you've, you, know, you both mentioned about proactive mental health and identification and discoverability. But I imagine, again, that there, there's somewhat of a pivot in what you're discussing with those uh, leaders in light of the news. Phil, do you want to go first or should I? Sure. I'm happy to go first. I've seen zero slowdown, like literally none. I also think sentiment more broadly has far outstripped the economic fundamentals. I mean, you know, everybody's running, has been running around for six months, for 12 months now, saying that we were just two months away from a recession. <laughs> and, and yet, weirdly, two months away, the recession has never come. You know, we, we just did 571,000 new jobs in the jobs report last week. And so, you know, I do think when I think about even like, I'll give you a good example. So there was a lot of press coverage when Meta let, laid off 13,000 employees. Okay. Do you know when that brought them back to like when the last time was that they had the number of employees that they now have after laying off 13,000 people? Like, guess. 100,000? November of 2021. They've added 40,000 new employees since COVID. They laid off 13,000. They still added 27,000 new employees since COVID. I mean, that I think exemplifies the whole point. There's no press coverage on the way up of all the hiring done by Meta, there's only press coverage around the 13,000 that are laid off. And the reason why I say that is to say, 
it's sort of the same point as don't confuse progress with arriving in the promised land and this idea that there's more nuances. Like, is there sentiment that exists around, you know, fear of a recession? Sure. Does the tech industry in particular, have they seen a slowdown? Have the capital markets turned? Have valuations come down? Have things become more, I would argue, more sane? Yes. All of that is yes. And might that dampen it to some degree? Yes, maybe a little bit. I'm not seeing that. I'm, I'm curious what Stephen will say. However, the overall trajectory, if you look at it in the biggest picture, is still incredibly strong and heading in the right direction. And I think that the long-term trends here, what we're talking about, secular shifts. And so I think about like, if you think about the sort of acceleration from a manual labor-based economy to a knowledge economy. When you were in a manual labor-based economy, you needed workers that were physically strong. But in a knowledge economy, you need workers that are mentally strong and resilient. Mental health, burnout, become fundamental economic threats to businesses that are at their core intellectual capital-intensive businesses. And so whether, whether the job numbers are crazy robust or a little bit slower, I don't think that changes the underlying dynamics here that like more and more businesses and more and more of the economy is about the quality of the ideas that come from people, not just the amount of hours on the factory line. And in that context, your mental health becomes really important to generating the best ideas. Excellent. Thank you for that color. And, and Stephen, love to you know, get, get your, your take on again. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I agree completely. I mean, one thing we see is clients are saying, uh, you know, we're in a we're in a freeze for now in terms of adding new benefits, um, but the desire remains. So um, it's definitely something where companies have woken up to the idea that they need to do more. And to your sort of point or question earlier, Eric, like just throwing something out there to check a box doesn't work. Hey, we're going to give a subscription to XYZ app. Great. Okay. I mean, better that than nothing, but also don't think that's going to solve the problem. So one sort of personal anecdote, I lost 85 pounds. It's a long time ago. This is 22 years ago at this point. And I was always careful not to mistake activity with progress. And the activity was, oh, I went to the gym or I had a salad. The progress was, was I losing weight to get towards the goal that I needed to get to? Because at this point I was significantly overweight, right? And here with companies, sometimes there's ah, we're doing this, we're doing that. Okay, well, are people engaging? Are they sharing their feedback in saying, this helped me, right? I mean, there's lots of clinical ways to measure it, but there's also just self-reporting on your stress levels, your happiness levels, your engagement levels. And so I think it's important not to just offer a solution just to check a box. Although again, better than nothing, but the work is not then done, right? That's only the beginning of how do we support our employees and make more productive organizations, right? Healthier, happier people are more productive. That the science is, is super solid on. So, mm -hmm. yeah. you know, I think just- Go ahead, sorry. Yeah. No, and I think one of the other things that, that Phil, you said before that I completely agree with is, is sort of the human experience, you know, like mental health in our society, really when people think about it, it's mental illness. Uh, somebody suffering with depression or, but there's so much more to the spectrum of mental health, the same way physical health is not simply physical illness, right? Mm -hmm. It's everything in between. And so when you think about it, we all have mental health because we're all human beings and the human experience is a weird one. And we weren't given 
lots of tools. And when you think back, you know, we evolved over hundreds of thousands of years or even millions of years, but we're now living in this world where technology is advancing really rapidly. And the world is just, I mean, I was talking about this the other day with my team, like you have all of these things happening. You don't even have time to heal or process one thing. You know, it's Tyree Nichols and it's the, the Lunar New Year shootings. Then there's one the next day. Then it's the, you know, Israel-Palestine flare up. Then it's, you know, Syria earthquake, right? Besides all the U.S. news, which is just, it's wild, the lives that we're living and our internal, you know, hardware was not built for this type of uh, environment. And so just the human experience is a hard one. And so having support, having community, which, which Phil, you touched on, having tools to say, okay, let me slow down. Let me calm down. Let me look inward are incredibly helpful. And it's not necessarily, oh, somebody is bipolar. And that's what we're talking about. It's let's talk about the whole range of what it's like to be a human being. Right. And I, I think what's, what's incredible is like what, what how we um, called out the nuance on the Facebook news or the meta news. It's like, they added, you know, 40,000 jobs, they lost, you know, they laid off 13, there's 27,000 net, you know, so it's, it's, and to your point, Stephen, it's like, it's, you know, we're inundated with so much news. It's just a constant news cycle. There's no more, as we can agree, there's no more 24 hour news cycle. You know, you open up your Twitter app or whatever social media app you use and you see breaking news, X, Y, Z happening. You're like, oh my God, the sky is falling. But I think, you know, to both of your points, it's like really taking a step back and really scratching the surface. Like, what does this actually mean? Like asking some of those questions, like, is this going to have, uh, you know, an incredible or a profound impact on my life and try to really distill it. The other thing that I, I appreciate, Stephen, is really um, that distinction between, you know, mental mental health, well-being, mental health, sickness. You know, it's, again, it's it's that, that caveat or that nuance. Again, it's part of that education. You know, Phil, you mentioned mental health is 10 years behind climate change. So as part of that education, how can, you know, the people who are listening, people who are learning about mental health and how to address their mental health, you know, really understanding again, that, that nuance, I think that human connection is, is super important, but that human connection also has become incredibly nuanced over time. Again, with all that information that's being hit at, hit at us all, all at one time. So again, I, I appreciate both of your time. This afternoon is, is an incredible conversation. Really, again, very incredibly grateful. Before we break, Phil, you know, anyone who has questions about Project Healthy Minds, where should they go? You should go to projecthealthyminds.com for whatever you need, or you can send me an email, phil at projecthealthyminds.com. Excellent. I'll, pu I'll put it in the, uh, the, the show notes. And, and Stephen, how can people reach you and reach Journey? Same. That actually makes me feel much better, Phil, because I thought you were going to say, and my Twitter handle is this, <laughs> and my, and I'm, I'm like worst with that. Our email, our website is www.journey, J-O-U-R-N-E-Y.live, L-I-V-E. And my email is Stephen, S-T-E-P-H-E-N, at journey.live. Send me an email. Happy to support you however, however I can. Excellent. Well, again, thank you both uh, this afternoon, and we'll talk soon. Mm -hmm.